Welcome to the Sonic Nuance Electronics Podcast, focusing on topics of interest to worship teams as well as anyone involved with musical recording and performance. Today's interview is with Jacob Lefevre, worship pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada. Jacob, thank you for taking the time for this interview. Can you tell me about Shadow Hills Church and what your role is there? Absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Ted, for this uh, chance to share. Uh, Shadow Hills is a Southern Baptist church in the fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, we are a church. uh, We have about 3,000 on an average weekend, and we have four services. Um, and we're fairly contemporary in our worship style, although that's been a transition as of late. Um, but my role here is as worship pastor, and I also serve on the pastoral management team, which is, uh, a group of four of us, the senior pastor, executive pastor, um, the pastor of adult education and myself. And, uh, we, um, you know, lead the church together. So uh, that takes a big part of my time. And then just um, managing uh, the employees that I have as well, um, which I have uh, six employees that I, that I manage. So uh, that, that takes up a good chunk of my time as well. I see the Sunday services. Sounds like there were four. Is that correct? The, uh, yeah. So we have one Saturday night service and three Sunday mornings. Okay. Uh, can you tell me how this is organized? In other words, do you have the same sermon for the two days, same songs, that sort of stuff? Yeah, right now the way we do it is uh, is that we do have it's all four services are identical, um, same team, same pastor, same worship leader, uh, same songs, and same musicians. Uh, so we, we, uh, even Saturday night, Sunday, we do, we do the same thing, which I know is, is, uh, different than a lot of churches do a lot of times offer different, uh, you know, type music or, uh, maybe a different preacher or maybe even uh, a whole different team. But, uh, for us right now, what we're doing, although we are in discussions about whether we want to continue to do that, but for right now, uh, all four are the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to be about 50-50 in my uh, experience of talking to worship leaders of how it's done. I think it has more to do with uh, how many volunteers are available and people's schedules and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, because it it, uh, and we recognize it, you know, it is it is a uh, quite a, um, you know, high expectation to ask volunteers um, to serve uh, not just for services, but you know, two different days. Um, they're giving up uh, a lot of their, a lot of their time. So, um, you know, we, that's, that's why we're in talks about it to consider, you know, is this, uh, what's really best for our volunteers. Mm-hmm. Can you describe for me the process of choosing a set list? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, first and foremost, I think, uh, the bottom line is what are, what are we trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. As we gather the church body together, 
what what are what's our aim what's our goal and you know i think as a as a worship leader as a worship pastor the highest priority has to be to raise up the name of jesus so for me that's going to be reflective upon you know your 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 worship set needs to be songs that what what is your congregation going to engage with so you know different cultures and and different areas and you know just different churches worship in different ways and i think that honestly that that's one of the beautiful things about the church the capital c church mm-hmm. um is that we do all have our different tastes and and uh, different ways so when i come into a planning a worship set number 1 you know i'm keeping in mind my goal here is to lift Jesus high. And it's not for for me to lift Jesus high. And it's not just for me to lift Jesus high. It's not just for the, the singers on stage to be lifting Jesus high. The goal is for our church body to together corporately lift Jesus high. And so it's not about, you know, what's going to make me sound best or or what's going to, you know, my, my assistant sound, sound best, or, you know, one of our praise team members sound best, or, oh, this guitar solo, oh, it's so good. It's, it's what is going to help our congregation encounter God in a, in a powerful way and have them really jump into the, the worship experience. And traditionally, I think uh, it, for for a lot of churches, I think there's a video too that most of us worship pastors are familiar with, where they kind of make fun of how the first song is always fast. And that's hilarious. I've seen. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, you might. I don't know. You maybe if you can put a link to that in the uh, description or something on this podcast. I'll try just, to find it. That's that's a good. Post. Yeah. Um. But but uh, but you know we do uh, roughly stick to that. But I you know I I think it's it's a good and healthy thing to be dynamic. I think dynamics in music are so crucial because um, they're what evoke our emotions. You know, if you uh, for instance, if you take a real big chorus that just makes you just you know, melt and just, uh, you know, whether it's a, a, a Christian worship song or, or even if it's a secular song, just the musicality of it. Um, if, if you were to play that same chorus over and over and over and over and over and over again, it would lose its power. And the, the reason why it's so powerful is the dynamics of the song. It's what's leading up to that moment. And, and so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of dynamics. Um, uh, we'll probably get into this later, but one of the big influences for me, which is common for a lot of uh, a lot of us, is uh, is Hillsong worship. And I think one of the things that throughout the decades that they've done extremely well is that they 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 understand the importance of dynamics. So there's dynamics within a song. There are dynamics within a set list, but then there are also dynamics from week to week. Uh, And I think it's important to not just do the same thing the same way in one song. And I think it's important not to do the same thing the same way in a set. And I think it's important not to do the same thing the same way uh, from week to week. Um, And those dynamics are what 
again, they, they evoke the emotion and, um, you know, I think that's what, um, really penetrates our hearts and, uh, helps us to, um, really, uh, passionately worship God together. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought of dynamics from week to week. Yeah. But that's a good point. Thinking back, I, I can see how that comes into play. Absolutely. And just an example of that is uh, in in the different roles I've, I've been in, in different different churches and things at different times, I've, I've implemented maybe once every other month or once every six weeks. Instead of having a full band, we come way down and we just do an unplugged acoustic set where maybe we have a a cello, a couple of acoustic guitars, a keyboard, and a cajon. Um, and you can get some big sounds out of that small group. Um, but it, it just provides a completely different experience. But then you have to be intentional too because it's how you present that and um, you know, lighting and everything plays such a big part in make in making that really um, come off well, um, because you want to provide a, an in, a more intimate experience when you when you do an unplugged set. Except for dynamics, for choosing the songs, how does the sermon come into play? Uh, well, obviously, you know, if you can uh, drive a point home uh, with a song. Uh, I think ending the worship service with a song, uh, although I know that's not the way all um, churches do it, and 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 uh, um, and that's that's okay. But I think ending with a song can be a very powerful thing, especially if it drives the point home of what the message is. You know, a lot of times uh, when people go home, uh, they may have been profoundly impacted by the message. Um, but what really sticks with them often is the music. And so if you can tie the message and the music together, uh, what that, what that does is it, it, it gives that staying power, uh, that, that again, penetrates the heart, which music does. Um, and it gives that staying power to the message that maybe by itself, um, wouldn't, uh, have, uh, had by itself. Um, so like for instance, this past weekend, um, uh, honestly, we covered one of the hardest topics. Um, we covered the, the message title was racism in the church. And, um, and so, uh, one of the, you know, the final point of the message was, um, just that, Hey, um, diversity is a beautiful thing. It's, it's, a it's, a you know, part of God's creation and heaven is going to be a very diverse place. And it's instead of, um, because, because of man's sinfulness, instead of it being an issue and a problem, it's going to be, uh, you know, a blessing and, and, and a, and a wonderful thing that the, the diversity. And, um, and so we closed with the song. It's, it's a little bit uh, of an older song. It's, uh, you know, 10, 15 years old. Um, but he reigns, um, by newsboys and, you know, the opening, uh, lyrics are that, of that song are talking about how, um, you know, the Asian believe it's the song of the Asian believers. It's the song of, you know, rising from the African plane plains. It's, uh, 
it's every tribe, every, every tongue, every nation, um, you know, coming together as one choir singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. And, uh, it was, it was powerful. And, you know, um, we're, we're a fairly diverse church, although we would like to be more diverse than what we are, but it's, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, when you look out at the congregation and, and you see different generations, you see different, uh, skin colors and, and, uh, culturally different, different people, but we're all united and we're all, we're all one in this together. And, um, you know, just like that verse says, there's, there's neither, uh, neither, um, Jew nor Greek and, um, you know, uh, man or woman, we're, we're all one. And, and that's what, uh, that's what we talked about this last week. And it, it was powerful. Yeah, that's a great song. We haven't done it in a while, but I've always enjoyed that song from a lot of standpoints, the lyrics, the, the build up to the chorus, yeah. all, all the yeah. stuff. You know, sometimes when you do a, an older song, you go into it and you're like, I, I think this is going to be good, but it's a little bit of a of a risk. And and I'll tell you what, it it paid off. I could not believe how how well it it came across. It it was uh, it was powerful. My philosophy on songs is a good song is a good song. I don't care. I listen and, to Mozart a lot, and those and are pretty old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, you talking about Mozart. That's that's a good segue into something that I wanted to make sure that uh, I talked about with you today, and that's um, a uh, something I have actually on my wall, and it's uh, something that uh, a man made for me in one of my churches, and it's uh, he sewed it on this uh, on this cloth, and then he's also a, a, a wood carver, and he carved the musical instruments and musical notes onto this thing, but it's a quote by Johann Sebastian Bach. And it says, the aim and final reason of all music is none but the glory of God. Yeah, that's awesome. If you could send me a, a picture of that after the yeah. interview, I'd love to put a link to that on the on the blog when we post this. Yeah, I definitely will. Can you explain to me how you introduce new songs to the congregation? You know, nine times out of ten, when we introduce a new song, we will introduce it as a special um, we'll do it for either offertory or perhaps at the end of, of service. Um, if we do it for offertory, the, most of the time, although there are some rare occasions, but most of the time we will, um, just sing it, uh, to the congregation, uh, without expecting any, uh, participation. Um, and then what we try to do is the very next week, we put it in our set list. So, you know, it's one thing if you introduce a song and then two months later you sing it together, it, you know, tends to be forgotten. But when we introduce a song and it's brand new, then that very next week, um, especially if the congregation didn't get a chance to participate in singing it, uh, that very next week we'll add it into the worship set so that they can uh, sing it with us. Occasionally, um, we will also just throw it in the set list without doing it as a special. Uh, but when we do, can you explain to my listeners what a special is? Sure. So when I say special uh, around here, we use that as a term to mean that it's not congregation participating in singing the song, but it's, um, it's, you know, maybe a song that's sung during the offertory, 
um, that is just the people on the stage are singing um, Mm -hmm. almost, you know, as ministering to the congregation instead of us together as a congregation really ministering to the Lord. So although obviously that still needs to uh, take place and trump everything, but so yeah, that's what, when I say a special, special song or special music, that's what, that's uh, what for us, our terminology, what we mean. But occasionally we will uh, also just put the song into the normal set list, which, which is when the congregation is still standing, still singing along with us. But when we do that, first of all, it has to be a song that's very easy to sing along with and easy to catch, um, catch on to. Because if you, if you think about it, I mean, to us, we hear these songs and we hear them over and over again, and we sing them over and over again. And we think, oh, this is, this is a piece of cake. But for somebody who's coming in, who's never heard the song before, if you're doing these crazy interval jumps and, and it's this, you know, very syncopated uh, type of a feel, um, that can be quite difficult to try to sing along to if you've never heard it before. So we try to stick more with like the anthem type songs that are just real easy to sing, real repetitive, um, easy to catch on to. Those would be stylistically the only types of songs that we would introduce to the congregation directly in the normal worship set and not as a special song. Great. You answered a couple of my follow-up questions, so I won't even go there. (laughs) I was going to ask about (laughs) the importance of singable songs. When you introduce a new song, do you, if you want the congregation to sing along, do you do anything to coach them? Like, hey, here's how the chorus goes before you start the song or anything like that? Yeah, occasionally uh, we will do that. Um, I think you, you said coach, uh, and I think that's such a, such a key word. And I, re- I really think that's a, um, foundational part of what the role of a worship leader or worship pastor is. Um, people need to be coached on how to worship. And, um, and so, uh, yes, just continually exhorting, continually encouraging, um, your people to sing out, to lift their voices high, to raise um, raise their voices to heaven. Um, you know, um, clap your hands. Um, you know, depending on what kind of church you go to, I guess, um, and 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 where the people are. Um, you know, even raise your hands. Um, you know, obviously, you need to be winsome. You need to. Um, bring people along with you in the journey of worship. And if you're, if you're just going off on your own, but you're not bringing your people along with you, you are not a leader. You are, um, doing your own thing. And, um, honestly, um, you know, that's not being, that's not really productive, but what's productive is when you're able to bring a body of people along your church body into the throne room of God and they together with you are, um, pouring your hearts out to your creator, to your savior, to your, your friend, to your Lord and your master and your King. Um, when we do that together, and you lead people to do that, 
that is a leader. That's leadership. And um, so I, I might have got off topic there a little bit. Sorry, Ted. No, actually, um, I, you reminded me of something my worship uh, pastor often says. He he has this joke of what do you call a leader that nobody is following? And the answer is lost. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's so good. That's so good. And it's so true. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that we we grow in as worship leaders over time, you know, when when we're young and we're just jumping into it and we're getting started and, um, you know, we don't have much experience. Uh, it, it's definitely a learned skill that we develop over time. And, and honestly, we never arrive. Um, I You know, I'm not there yet. I'm not trying to claim that I'm better than anybody else. Um, or that I don't have growing to do. I definitely do. I I, I want to do a better job of leading my people deeper into more p- passionate, genuine, authentic worship. Um, and uh, we're not yet where I want us to be, but but we're on our way. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of when when God is at work and God is moving, and and uh, He's stirring the hearts of His people. Oh man, there, there's nothing better than that. I saw an interview recently with uh, the great blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he said something to the effect of, if I stop learning, I'll quit, Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was great. Yeah. Well, honestly, that, that uh, one, of, one of my favorite books that I've read is a, a book called The Art of Learning, and it's, uh, it's written by uh, a, a man who um, mastered chess. And uh, he ended up getting bored because he stopped learning, and he thought he loved the game of chess. And he, what he um, what he later realized after he got into uh, martial arts and ended up becoming a world champion martial artist, uh, he learned that it wasn't so much chess that he loved, and it's not so much martial arts that he loved. He loved what he loved was learning, the process of learning, and um, and it's a it's a it's a pretty profound. Uh, book. Can you tell me what instrument or instruments you usually lead with as a worship leader? Yeah, I always lead on guitar. My first instrument is piano, uh, and I I love to play piano. But for whatever reason, and I've been encouraged by others to uh, change this, but uh, as of yet, I have not led from the piano. I I always lead from guitar. And do you have a typical instrumentation, instrumental configuration for your services? Yeah, right now we have uh, two acoustic guitars. We have a keyboard. Um, well, and actually, the key, we got the new Roland RD2000, which is just an amazing new keyboard that actually just came out a couple months ago. We're real excited about some incredible sounds on there. Um, bass, uh, drums. Um, we're actually going to be adding... Um, percussion uh, this weekend and seeing how that goes um, we bought it's actually another it's a Roland but it's a drum pad so you can you can put um, any samples that you want into the the drum pad and, and get any any type of sound that you want that it triggers the uh, those sounds um, and we we used it actually for our, one of our productions, and we put timpani in there and a lot of different uh, other different uh, more orchestral 
type sounds and it was absolutely phenomenal but we're going to be using it uh, on regular weekends when i say regular weekends i mean uh like not um like a christmas production or an easter production um and we'll probably be using it for more uh, less less orchestral type sounds and more more modern um uh type of uh type of uh, uh percussive uh, sounds and then um so yeah, we have uh, drums, percussion, bass, uh, two acoustic guitars, two electric guitars, and uh, we actually have a string quartet um, that is uh, a little bit out of the ordinary. Um, but they are they are absolutely phenomenal, and uh, they add so. Much. You want to talk about adding emotion uh, to the songs? Those strings just fill fill out the um, you know the the um, the space and um, add so much. Uh, dynamics and, and emotion. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the instruments we have right now. Can you tell me your approach regarding remaining faithful to recordings arrangement versus taking artistic license? Uh, sure. You, you mean like how we play the song versus how the song was recorded? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we try to stick pretty close to how, how it was recorded. Um, we, we use uh, sheet music that has, you know, each measure laid out. And so, uh, you know, occasionally we'll say, oh, this, this uh, guitar solo is too long. You know, Lincoln Brewster is so good at, <laughs> at those long guitar solos. But, you know, for us, it, maybe instead of, you know, eight bar guitar solo, maybe we'll drop it to, to four or instead of 16, maybe we'll do eight or something. But, um uh, occasionally we'll, we'll, we'll make changes, but, but we do try to stick, uh, to, uh, the recording, um, we're probably more than most churches. We, we stick to the recording and, you know, for my philosophy on that is, um, you know, it works, you know, it's, it, it's, um, there's a reason why they made it like this. And, and, uh, so we're, we're just going to stick with it and it's, it's if it's not worth the hassle of making the edits to the sheet music, um, making the edits in uh, able we use Ableton Live, um, so making those edits and and making the edits in Pro Presenter and all these other things. Let's just do it um, as is and and uh, it, you know it works for us that way. Now I will say occasionally and actually almost every week um, we we work on the transitions from song to song and that's something else I. I want to, I'm glad that uh, we're covering because I think that it's what's in between the songs that is almost more important than the songs themselves. And, um, you know, an inexperienced worship leader, like, you know, what I was when I, when I first got into the ministry, it was, okay, I'm going to build a set and it's going to be song one. Oh, that's a great song. And song two, that's a great song. You know, here's another great song, song three, here's another great song, song four. And you don't think about, the flow necessarily you don't think about what's happening in between song one and song two what's happening in between song two and song three um and so we put a lot of attention in uh to the detail of of transitions um from song to song or song to message or uh, song to announcements announcements to song uh, greeting all those things Transition from one to the next is always very thought out, 
And uh, one of the things we do is uh, that's real powerful is we try to try to tie songs together. So, for instance, right now we do one song at the front. We do our welcome announcements and greeting, and then we do a three song, almost like a medley. And there's there's no break in that. One song flows right into the next, and so we will edit the music to make that medley a medley. Um, one of our philosophies here is that we we if there's an outro of a song, uh, generally, and there are always exceptions, but generally we will not play the intro of the next song. Um, and uh, also, you know, if or, or we could do it the other way around, where where to get from one song into the next song, we don't play an outro. Instead, we play an intro. Um, but to do and you know, kind of the closing outro of a song that's just instrumental, and then you stop and you pause and people clap, and then you start an intro of the next song, and you have to wait to get through this instrumental part before you start singing again. It, it just can feel kind of clunky. Um, but when you fl- when you really think about the transitions, how can I make this just flow right into this next uh, segment of our of our worship experience? Um, th- then that's when you really start to gain momentum. And I think you know a good illustration for that is like a roller coaster. Um, you want to you want people to go up, you want people to go down, but you have to. It can't just be you're up and then you just drop straight down. Um, you know, without, without helping there, there has to be a slope there. There has to be, uh, you have to take people there. And then as you go up, you gotta, you gotta rise up gradually and slowly. And, you know, sometimes in music, it's good to have sudden drops and sudden, sudden breaks and things, but, but only when you're intentional about it. Um, and, and that really helps a, a worship set to flow together. And, you know, um, when you're trying to create, um, you know, an atmosphere again of true, genuine, authentic worship. Um, having that awkwardness in between songs can is can be very defeating in your goal of what you're trying to accomplish. But when it when it flows, you're just able to go deeper and deeper in one song into the next one, deeper and deeper into worship. And by the time you get to your last song, um, you've you've accumulated uh, all this all this momentum and and uh, and you can have th- that power, um, especially, you know, at the end as you've taken them on this journey to get there. Yeah, that's an excellent point. On a different topic, can you tell me your approach to motivating your volunteer musicians for practice? First of all, you know, I'm unapologetic about having high standards. And uh, I, I let people know from the very beginning to communicate what expect, the expectations are. I think that, you know, in any relationship, whether it's a marriage or um, uh, um, a friendship, um, a work relationship, um, uh, you know, worship leader, volunteer, um, clearly communicating what expectations are is vitally important to the health of that relationship. So from the very beginning, uh, I let people know, hey, we have very high standards here. We're trying to do a great thing, and what what we are doing matters. Um, we are impacting um, this lost 
city of Las Vegas and, uh, and, and beyond. And um, so it's important for us to show up on time. It's important for, sh- for us to show up prepared. Uh, it's important uh, for us to show up with good hearts and good attitudes. Um, it's important for us to buy into uh, the vision and all be in, on the same team, wanting to go in the same direction, you know, being equally yoked um, together. Uh, not me trying to yank this way and you trying to yank that way and we're fighting against each other. We need to all be on board together. Um, so, you know, I think I think cl- setting clear expectations is, is one of the uh, foundational things. You know, and then another thing is is just love, you know, loving people, letting them know, I love you. You know, those three words sometimes can be so hard for people to say, I think a lot of men especially. But for us to say, Hey, hey, bro, I love you. Hey, sister, I love you. Um, and, and for them to really know that you do love them um, and that you care about them, um, that, you know, love is a great motivator. Um, and then, you know, helping them, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but really helping your volunteers to buy into the vision. When they see and they believe in the, the vision for the future, that is something that you know is not here yet, but it's somewhere where we're trying to get together. When they buy into that and they want to go there, then they're going to make the sacrifice of learning their music, of coming and being on time, of um, being committed week to week. And um, But if they don't understand where you're trying to get or maybe they don't really want to go where you're trying to get, then you're going to have pushback and they're not going to see the value of coming prepared. They're not going to see the value of coming on time or of being committed week to week and, uh, or even coming with a good attitude. So, you know, really helping them to buy in. And, you know, I think it's important and this is a, a tough thing to say, but I think if somebody's not bought into the vision and they're not bought into your leadership, then you need to have a tough, uh, one-on-one private conversation with that person to let them know, hey, you know, I I want you here. I want you bought in. Um, but if you're not if you're not on board, then you need to find find a place where you can get on board because you're not. I'm not doing you a favor, and you're not doing us a favor if we're not in this together. You're right. That helps many different types of relationships. Yeah, and you know, and different leaders are going to be different ways, and 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 maybe a. a, a there's going to be a more casual leader who says, "Hey, here's my expectations. If you want to show up 15 minutes late, that's that's not a big deal. That's no problem. Um, if you know if you have to back out last minute, um, you know I'm okay with that. Um, and and so so you know if that's the style of leadership that 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 person has, um, you know if you want to come once a month, you know that's fine. Um, you know, and that's his style and that's the way he wants to lead." then then uh then that's great too but but if someone is a, the type of leader who has high expectations expects people to be on time expects people to come prepared expects people to have uh, good attitudes but they don't communicate that and the volunteers think that it's okay for them to come late and it's okay for them to not be committed and it's okay for them not to have a good attitude it's okay for them not to buy in then that's when you get the conflict and that's when you get frustration is when you don't when you don't clearly communicate because they, the volunteer thinks, hey, I'm I'm not being paid. I can come and go as I want, and 
and that's not a big deal. I, I'm just doing this as a volunteer. I'm doing you a favor. But, but they need to understand if, depending on the leader and what he's trying to accomplish, they need to understand, hey, maybe you're not helping. <laughs> maybe, maybe you showing up once a month when I'm trying to get everybody to come weekly is communicating and making my job more difficult uh, to the people who are coming on time and are coming regularly. So and are you know and are learning the music, um, but I again I think it's just very important for us to communicate clearly uh, what our expectations are, and those are going to be different from church to church and from leader to leader. And I don't think necessarily one way is is better than than the other, but it is important to be clear about what your expectations are. Do you find a common mistake that instrumental and or vocal performers make? Uh. Well, I, I will say, uh, you know, the, the, we kind of joke about it. We call it the, the diva mentality, um, and that can be a, a guy or a girl. But, you know, I think pride is, is one of the biggest, um, you know, downfalls uh, that, a, that a person can have. And, you know, if we, if we don't humble ourselves, God's really good at doing it for us. And, uh, you know, it's much better for us to, and I've learned this the hard way many times, but it's much better for us to, to humble ourselves, um, so that he doesn't have to, um, cause it's not fun when he humbles us. But, uh, but I think that that probably to me, um, you know, uh, I, I, here's another thing I'll say is I think it's important to meet, um, people where they're at, whether they're staff, whether they're, you know, paid, uh, in any way, um, or if they're volunteers, um, it's important to meet people where they're at. And so, you know, you're going to have m- vocalists, musicians who are at different levels and that's okay. Um, but, um, but I do think that you need to have, um, and you need to uh, figure this out on, on your own. What are, what are your standards? Um, so for instance, am I going to, excuse me, am I going to let uh, just anybody come up here and grab a microphone and, and sing? Uh, am I going to let anybody bring bring their guitar up and come up and play? Um, I, I think there's got to be some sort of standard there. Um, but I also think you need to be open to helping to uh, grow and train and provide opportunity to young musicians and young young vocalists to um, develop their their skills. And um, and to become comfortable and gain experience in being worship leaders. And by the way, I I feel like anybody who is on the stage, uh, whether a musician or or a vocalist, uh, is a worship leader. We together are leading our people into worship, and every single person on the stage is a worship leader in that respect. Um, that that part of your job and your role is not just to play the right notes on the guitar. It's not just to sing the right harmonies. Part of your role is to lead our church into worship. And, uh, that's, that's very important for people to understand the the difference in that. Easter is commonly referred to as the Super Bowl of church services. As a worship leader, can you explain to my listeners what, what's involved with preparing a production. Yeah. Can you give us some insight into what you're dealing with, how much time you have to put into it, et cetera, et cetera? 
Well, first off, let me start with the why. The, 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 reason, the reason why we put so much into Easter, the reason why we'll stay here till sometimes four or five in the morning. Some, actually, the worst we ever did is we pulled a, an all-nighter and we went home at 11, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that was after showing up at nine o'clock in the morning the previous day. <laughs> so I don't recommend that, by the way. Wow. Um, yeah, 26 hour uh, shift is, is a little much, but, um, the, but, uh, the, the, the why behind it, the motivation is because this is the, the, I would say Easter and Christmas are the two times where 90% of, of Americans are open to entering our world. And whether they uh, are atheists or agnostics or whatever they might be, uh, uh, or wherever they're at in their faith journey, they are are open to uh, more open than any other time of the year hearing about our Savior Jesus Christ. And so, and so that's why we put so much into it is because we look at it as, hey, here's our best chance to, again, lift high the name of Jesus and to more people than, we'll ever, than we get to uh, lift the, the name of Jesus high on, on, a, on any other week or any other time of year. Um, and so that's why we put so much into it. And so, yes, and as, as I alluded to earlier, we go all out. We don't hold anything back, and uh, we we start we start planning. Normally, I start planning um, Christmas in June, and it's uh, it's June now. So uh, at the time of this recording, so I'm beginning uh, Christmas uh, production already, and uh, and then uh, with Easter, we start as soon as uh, Christmas is over. We don't take a break. So. As soon as we, I should say, as soon as we get through the new year, um, uh, so first thing in January we start working on on Easter. Um, but yeah, uh, extreme preparation goes into it. We uh, we we put more. I would say we put ten times as much, if not more, um, effort and energy and time and manpower into. Um, those services than we do any any other service. And again, the motivation is this is our best chance to reach people who 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 most need to hear it, who most need to know that there's a God who who loves them, who sacrificed His only Son to give them life, and um, and this is this is our best shot at at winning them. Uh, to to Christ and and so we're not we're not going to hold anything back. We're going to give it everything we got. Wow, I had no idea it was that much work. <laughs> yeah, well, we do we do a major production and and um and and I know most most churches don't do major productions, but we we do um I mean major production. We we fall when when we advertise it and we do big advertising and everything, we what our advertising says is full scale production. And it is. We have a full orchestra. Uh we have drama. Um our lighting is is phenomenal. Um and but it but you know it's not about the drama. It's not about the lighting. It's not about the orchestra. It's about 
bring as many people in as we can, again, to magnify and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what it's about. It's about Jesus. And everything else is just, they're just tools that we use to help communicate the message that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, um, and uh, and he's, he, he did this for you because he loves you. Yeah, knowing the why, uh, I think is critical. Otherwise, it does become a show. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, I heard somebody say a good a good response to when you know because oftentimes people do get churches get accused of oh it's just a show. And uh, I, I heard a really good point is uh, someone once said he he said well everything is a show. The question is what are you showing? Because no matter what, we are always showing something. But the question is, what what are we showing? You know, and whether there's lights or whether there's drama, if there's a set, you know, all these things. E- even without all those things, we're still showing something. We're presenting something. But the question is, what are we presenting? And that is the balance that we need to be very careful about: is that we're not glorifying man, we're not glorifying. Um, technology and the oh cool things that lights can do but that uh we're enhancing and not distracting that the attention is always being drawn to Jesus and and it's not about it's not about uh, as you put a show it's about we are showing Jesus do you have any horror stories of sundays oh. things that have gone wrong oh man i have a lot actually <laughs> Um, I'll tell you, um, well, let's see. Well, one time I made the mistake, actually another great link uh, that you could put, uh, in at the, at the bottom Mm -hmm. uh, is a link to, and I'll, I'll email it to you, but it's a link of a guy, um, playing holy as the Lord and he forgot to take his capo off of his guitar. So he, or (laughs) capo. And so he's playing, he's singing it in the wrong key. And then the, the band comes in at the pre-chorus and it's a complete train wreck. Um, thankfully, I, I don't think I've had one as bad as that one. But if you want a great laugh, especially as a musician, it's it's painfully funny um, to hear how bad that sounds. But um, uh, but I have made the mistake of starting a song in the wrong key. Uh, with my capo because of, because of my capo on on my guitar, um, thankfully I I realized it right away and just stopped the song and started over. Um, but uh, I don't know I don't know man I'm I'm pretty good like I said I'm pretty good at embarrassing myself and um, there there have been many times where I've um, either said the the wrong lyrics actually just this past weekend I sang um, I was singing Jesus Christ. And I sang Jesus Christ. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm capable of, of uh, making a fool of myself at, at a moment's notice. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I'm, I, I've done quite a few things. I've, I've noticed a lot of uh, uh, websites of churches are, are pretty, pretty elaborate. Uh, can you reflect on how things have changed in terms of the church's ability to communicate? Oh yeah. Um, well, without question, you know, the, the internet is a very, 
a powerful tool and, uh, you know, it can be good used for good. It can be used for evil. Um, but when you think about it, never before in the history of the world have we had, uh, the power that we have today to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to every corner of the earth. Um, you know, uh, that between, you know, and we think specifically of the internet, but also you think about travel, you think about, um, planes and trains and, uh, automobiles, you know, and, um, you know, the places where we can, we can reach that throughout history. Um, never before have we been so interconnected. Um, so, you know, and, and again, it's a, it's a balance. We have to be careful, um, that we're using these tools to enhance and not distract. I know there are arguments against having a online service, um, because then we're communicating to people. It's okay not to gather together, um, for fellowship and, uh, for church. Um, so, and that, that's a whole nother, um, uh, debate, but, um, but I, I, I think, you know, I think it's important to, again, realize that these are, the technology, it's, these are tools and just like a hammer can be used in in good ways and it can be used in bad ways. We need to be very careful about which, about what we're hitting with our hammers and, um, you know, uh, how we, how we're using these tools, but when used in the right, in the right way, um, they can be very, very powerful and very effective at reaching the world. I'll say right now, um, uh, with Facebook, um, we, we have the last couple, um, productions we've done, we've run ads on Facebook. And I would say, I wouldn't be surprised if we've got a 50 times greater return on our investment of, of, uh, uh, you know, of reaching out of marketing on Facebook versus, uh, print and, and mailers, um, it's a, it's just amazing how, how many more people have come and, and for the, for the cost, you know, I mean, you may spend $500 to do a face, run a Facebook ad and reach, you know, 50,000 people or something. If you want to try to reach 50,000 people with a mailer, you're, you're going to spend, I don't even know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so I would highly recommend people, if, if you haven't already look at Facebook ads that they've, helped us to break through and reach, um, people that, that we hadn't reached before, uh, with the gospel and the love of Jesus. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. We have, we have a profound opportunity to live in this generation, um, and how we can impact, uh, our communities and and really the entire world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the Facebook angle. Yeah, and the cool thing too is you can say where you want it to go out to, just like mailers. You can say, you know, I want to hit this area code and this area code, or I want to hit this radius from out, you know, for a ten mile radius from our church. Um, you can be very specific about where where you want to reach out to. Um, mm-hmm. So, or or you may even say, you know, hey, almost all of our uh, congregation lives in this area, you know, say Northwest of our church or something. We want to re we're, we're not penetrating the Southeast side, you know, side. So you can just run a, you know, add just to this, you know, that, that portion, if you want, you can, um, mm-hmm. say exactly who you want to 
reach out to. Good point. Good point. Do you have any closing thoughts you want to share? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that has made a, an impact in my life is uh, the power of discipleship and mentorship. Um, I think that, um, you know, if, you, if you're not, if you're a worship leader, or, or, or no matter who you are, no matter what role you're in, if, if you are not being poured into by somebody that you trust and that you love and that you respect, um, someone that, that you look up to, and that you can be open and honest with, and that you can, uh, you know, confess uh, your struggles with, um, you are missing out. Um, there have been some people in my life, our executive pastor here um, is one of those guys. Um, John Cassetto is a recent um, uh, worship pastor that I've connected with from from Saddleback, and he is, I, I honestly, never before in such a short amount of time have I been so profoundly impacted um, by anyone in my life. I spent three days with him and, uh, we, we text, um, constantly now. And, but it was just from a three day, uh, gathering that we had. Um, and he has inspired me. He's motivated me. He's given, breathed life into me again that I really needed. Um, and, um, you know, throughout my life, I've had, um, many people who, uh, have poured into me, and if it wasn't for their prayer, for their, um, for their love, for their, for their time, for their, um, belief in me that they believed that God could and would do great things in me and, and through me, uh, I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't be having the impact that I'm having today. Um, but it's because of these men of God who, um, ha have, have done this. And, and, you know, that's the input side, but then I also want to stress the output side. I think one of our biggest roles as, as worship pastors is to be raising disciples. Uh, we need to be pouring our lives and our love, our hearts, um, what God is teaching us in our quiet times with him. Um, and through the men that are pouring into us, men and women who are pouring into us, we need to be pouring that back out into, uh, into others and, um, and raising up that next generation of passionate, uh, leaders who are going to impact the world. Um, and, uh, and so I, I would just encourage, uh, you know, that's, that's to me, um, that's more important and that's a bigger part of my job than even I would say than, you know, leading the worship on a weekend. Um, it's, it's raising up, it's raising up people who it's raising up worship leaders mostly, um, who, who are going to do it. And, um, and so, you know, I have, I have some key people that I, that I pour into, but I also have key people who are pouring into me and we just need more of that in the church. We need, we need, um, we need each other. We need to be poured into. And, and so, um, that's when we're going to see, um, exponential growth is when, when we, get poured into so we have something to to give and then we pour out into others um then we're going to see exponential growth um in the church so that that's that's probably the biggest thing that i want to encourage people to do awesome well thank you so much for your time jacob i'm sure my listeners will get a lot out of this interview thanks again all right thank you ted <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Sonic Nuance Electronics podcast. 
Please also see our blog at sonicnuance.com, which has more articles on performance, equipment, as well as interviews. SonicNuance.com has handmade rugged direct boxes with phantom-powered chromatic tuners as well as instrument and headphone extension cables. All products are designed, tested, and made in the USA for the ultimate in fidelity and durability. Sonic Nuance Electronics. Simply sound. <laughs>